Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. Just a few days away from Washington heading up to Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field in prime time under the lights of Monday Night Football against the 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles. Washington entering the game at 4-5 after a tough loss to the Minnesota Vikings last week where a few bounces of the ball here or there and Washington is now heading into Philadelphia 5-4, but it's 4-5. And, and then this game against Philadelphia, their second matchup against Philly after losing to the Eagles, in week three, 24-8 at FedEx Field, it's not going to be easy. You're going in, undefeated unit, undefeated at home. They've been playing extremely well at home. You look at the Eagles on the road this fall. They've beaten the Commanders by 16 on the road. They beat the Cardinals by three. And then last week, they beat the Texans on the road by 12. But then you look at them at home. They blew out the Steelers by 22. They beat the Jaguars by 9. They beat the Vikings by 17. So they play extremely well at home. And we already know. You look at any other media entity, and it's going to say Eagles, 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 Eagles. When you look at these games, these game picks, no one is going to be picking Washington. And this is actually a good spot for Washington to play spoiler. And granted, for Washington now in their third division game, Washington has still yet to play the New York Giants once. They played Dallas once and lost. And obviously they played Philadelphia in week three and lost. This is now their third divisional game. And they're 0-2 in the division. They have to... I'm not saying to win this ball game. You have to stay competitive. Hopefully as you enter that back portions of the third quarter and into that fourth quarter, forcing adversity on this Eagles team that they have not faced yet. And I want everybody to realize if any team in history... That was not the 1972 Dolphins that went undefeated under Don Shula. Every team at some point has to face some sort of adversity. And how you battle back from that. I wrote a recent piece this week for thedraftnetwork.com focusing on the Bills' adversity right now and the injury to Josh Allen and their lack of of pop these last few weeks. How they're going to adjust from that. The Eagles are 8-0 and they have not faced any adversity. They've stayed relatively healthy. They've been winning easily in ballgames as you enter that fourth quarter, being able to rest some of their starters. It's been easy for Philadelphia. So why not play spoiler this week? And really, it's paramount for Washington because you do not want to go to 4-6 and six as you head in to Week 11. You cannot be 4-6 and six. as high as we were the last few weeks with after a three-game win streak and very easily, I know, could have been four games last week against Minnesota, before you know it, in the blink of an eye, come midnight on Monday night, you're at four and six, and you're chasing mediocrity again. And obviously, more stuff came out this week with more turmoil in the front office. I I don't want to get into that. I really want to focus on football. I am not going to give a full offensive and defensive preview of the Eagles. If you're interested in that, you can head back to my preview before week three, where I lock in on Jalen Hurts and 
A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith and the backs and their dominant front five that they have. And then you look at defensively, a unit led by, by, by their front four. Now, Jordan Davis within the interior is not going to play this week. He's going to be out due to injury. And But behind them, the linebackers and in their secondary, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is someone that is getting Defensive Player of the Year recognition right now for the play that he's had coming over from the New Orleans Saints. James Bradbury, opposite of Darius Slay. Avante Maddox didn't practice yesterday, so that's something to, to focus on potentially as a guy that likes to work in the slot for the Eagles. So I'm not going into a full defensive and offensive preview today for the Eagles. I want to focus on how Washington can win this ball game and from a game planning perspective, really diving in offensively and the improvements that we have to see from Taylor Heineke so we don't go into Philadelphia and it's the end of the first quarter and Washington is down 17. They cannot do that this week. And that environment, all oh, those welcoming Philadelphia fans, they're always the most welcoming people in the world, aren't they? It's not going to be easy. This was expected to be Carson Wentz's return to Philadelphia. This was a game that everyone had circled on the calendar. There's a reason why it's on Monday Night Football. But it's Taylor Heineke leading the charge a week after he was not good against the Minnesota Vikings. I understand the Curtis Samuel deep touchdown was fine. It was more of a fluke than anything. Driving the ball to Dax Mill in the flat areas of the offense, allowing him to turn up field in the pylon. That was a nice throw. There are flashes. We've seen flashes from Taylor Heineke. Heck, we've seen it in Philadelphia last year. But it's about consistency. And this week, Washington has got at their best way possible to win this football game is you got to get Brian Robinson and you have to get Antonio Gibson going. You have to. J.D. McKissick didn't practice yesterday, so it's probably going to be Robinson Gibson, and they're going to activate Jonathan Williams. That is going to be your three running backs. You have to get the ground game going to where you look at the end of the box score at the end of the game, and you're rushing for over 120, 130 yards or more. Because what the run game does is it's, it sneaks up those linebackers, it brings those safeties up, and allows you to target... Your, your Cole Turners, if he's healthy, your, your John Bateses, your Logan Thomases, Armani Rogers over the middle of the field. Then it opens up shot plays. If you, Jahan Dotson was limited in practice, but he looked good. Now, knock on wood, we need him to stay healthy. I would love to see him get back to 100% and work opposite of Terry McLaurin. I mean, Jahan, you look back to the early portions of this year, was a favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was absolutely dominant. So this is a scenario to where you need him back. Because if Philadelphia is able to bracket Terry McLaurin with Darius Slay and Bradbury and you got C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps over the top, that's easy for them. Because they know that their front four and rotation of five, six, seven guys that they have to get after the passer, no, it's not just Brandon Graham it's and Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick. It is Javon Hargrave in the middle. It's guys like Patrick Johnson and Kyron Johnson and all these guys that they have rotationally Marlon Tuipolotu, a big boy in the middle that they like to play at some of that one and three technique. Their rotation of defensive linemen is the deepest in football. And we know that Howie Roseman loves to add players and they did so by adding Robert Quinn from the Chicago Bears at the trade deadline. A guy that led the league in sacks last year. So they're going to have to get after Taylor Heineke, but in the same token, they're going to bolster against the run first because they're going to force Taylor Heineke, as every team has this year, to force him to beat him with his arm. That's what teams want to do. They're going to play press man on the outside. They're going to run a lot of that man and say, look, we do not trust you to beat us with your arm. 
and everything that Taylor Heineke has showed since his flashes back, obviously late in 2020 and, and all of last year is he is a below average quarterback when it comes to arm talent and the ability to dissect defenses within the pocket. Outside of structure, we know what he can do. He can create with his legs, not just as a runner, but he can get outside the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield and making some off-platform throws. That three o'clock arm angle that we talk about sometimes that bites him in the backside, inside the pocket, doing that outside of the pocket when he's in space and not having six foot five, 310 pound guys in his face with their arms up and creating a blockade, if you will, getting outside of the pocket and, and doing those sorts of things will be paramount for him to lift the performance ceiling of this offense again this week, especially with the pressure that Philadelphia is going to be able to produce. They've been able to produce it all year long. They're top of the league, near the top of the league in sacks, excuse me, which which stems back to their linebackers. TJ Edwards, Kaiser White has been played extremely well for them coming over from the Los Angeles Chargers this offseason. Then you look at that back end. They added Bradbury and you added Gardner Johnson. CJ Gardner Johnson, if you guys remember in New Orleans, a kid out of Florida that was a, a guy that talks a ton but backs it up with his play. And he's added that culture of the back end and the roof of that defense to where they're, he's extremely physical, not afraid to come downhill, make plays in the box. And then you can just roam back and play cover two or some of that single high very rarely. Now, Jonathan Gannon, their defensive coordinator, runs a lot of that cover three zone. So they like to make plays downhill on the football, allow those those defensive backs to keep their eyes a little bit on Taylor Heineke and just trigger. Put that foot in the ground, stick your cleats in the ground, and trigger downhill and make plays on the football. So, And this game, too, with Scott Turner, shot plays are going to have to be calculated. Because they can make plays on the back end. But with that, brings me back to their ability to run the football. And you look at Washington's front five. I talked about Cornelius Lucas last week at right tackle. And him going up against Darius Smith. It was ugly last week. Absolutely ugly on tape as well. Going back and looking at that all 22 from Washington's loss to Minnesota. He got his... Taken behind the barn and just whooped up by Zadarius Smith, Neil Hunter. It didn't matter who Minnesota sent off that right side last week. Cornelius Lucas was bad. But I'm looking forward to him getting back because this is a a week to where Sam Cosme, they took the club off of his hand and we'll see what, what his workload is this week. I know we've heard some things about him trying to move inside to guard. I would like him to stay outside of tackle. I, I think we saw a ton of flashes from Sam Cosme last year when he was healthy. And especially coming out of Texas as that elite athlete, one of the most athletic tackles in the 2021 class coming out of school. I want him to stay on the right side. But this is a huge week for Washington's front five as a whole because they are going to have to displace these big, not just big and burly dudes that the Eagles have. They can move and they can slide gap to gap and they can wrangle guys down in the flat areas of the offense and get TFLs because if you're not running up near Javon Hargrave and Tui Pelotu and Fletcher Cox, then you're trying to run the outside and you're trying to beat Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick and Robert Quinn and Brandon Graham and Patrick Johnson. So all these names you're going to hear this week and you got TJ Edwards coming downhill and CJ Gardner Johnson in the box. He's going to be working over those tight ends a little bit. Now, he's a little bit undersized, about 5'11", 6 foot, if you want to give him that extra inch. But... You know, the intermediate portions of this offense with Washington working off of play action, if they are able to get a five-yard gain here on first down, 
second down, get a three-yard gain, and you're setting yourself up in those third and twos, third and threes, third and fours, a.k.a. third and manageable situations, you don't want to be playing behind the sticks, behind the chains a lot this game. You don't want to find yourself in third and eights, third and tens, third and twelves, thirteens, where you're, you're wasting first and second down plays by running draws up the middle and you're running into Fletcher Cox's chest plate. You can't do that this week. You have to be opportune in your situations on offense to get yards when you can. And Tress Way had an outstanding week against Minnesota. I feel like we say it every week. It's it's kind of sad that we have to highlight Tressway every week because if your punter's on the field all the time, usually you're not a great football team, and that's unfortunately what Washington has been since he uh, came into Washington from Oklahoma years ago. But him being a dynamic field flipper with his ability to pin teams inside the 15 and inside the 10, you know, that's going to be huge this week as well. Force Jalen Hurts to drive 80, 85 yards, not giving him... 50 yards, 60 yards, where he hits Devontae Smith for a 40-yard gain, and they're at the 10-yard line. Force Philadelphia to drive the field and face some adversity this week. I think that's the biggest thing. John Allen, Deron Payne, again, it starts with them again this week. We will see with Chase Young. Again, he's been a full participant in practice now these last two weeks. I really would like to see him on Monday night. I know he wants to play. I know all you guys out there want to see him play. I am really excited and intrigued to see him. I don't think he's back at full strength yet. Maybe they are still playing the long game, which I do respect from this medical staff that I talked about before in a prior pod. I I, I do respect the timetable and kind of the slow rehab that they've taken and approach with Chase Young because this isn't just a one-year thing. We want Chase Young, obviously, in Washington for the next 10 years to become one of the most dynamic pass rushers to ever suit up in the burgundy and gold. That's what he. That's why he was drafted number two overall, to be that guy in 2020, be a dynamic elite, top four or five pass rusher in the NFL. So I I am extremely excited to if he's out there, whether it's 50% of the snaps or it's 25% of the snaps, having number 99 out there and the leadership that he shows, and the charisma and the vibe and the juice and obviously, the player and the athlete that he is and what he provides on that defensive side of the ball and within the trenches where Allen and Payne are playing their butts off. And Montez Sweat has been one of the top rushers in the NFCs from a pressure perspective this last month of the year. That's going to be critical because we talk about who Philadelphia has on their front four. I like who Washington has on their front four too. And it's not just Young, Sweat, Payne, and Allen. We've seen Casey Tuhill and F.A. Obata draft picks in James Smith-Williams and Shaka Tony, all these guys have played and worked in rotationally over the last weeks of the season since, obviously, Chase Young hasn't played for over a year now. These guys have had to play. And with snaps, you know, iron sharpens iron. Now, we're ever going to sit here and say that Casey Tuhill and Obata and James Smith-Williams are going to take snaps from Chase Young if Chase Young's healthy? Absolutely not. Unless something unforeseen happens in the future where one of those guys becomes just an elite dynamic pass rusher where you have to have him on the field on all three downs. Chase Young and his insertion on the right side of working over the right tackle want to see his pass rush repertoire evolve even more. We've seen a lot of him the first few years in his career. Everything is to the outside. I want to see him jump to the inside. I want to see him showcase a spin move that he doesn't have. Work his hands more. Everything starts with your hands and an ability to counter the counters from offensive linemen. He has 
all those tools. He checks every single box you want as an elite pass rusher from a traits perspective. Now, for Chase Young, it's about putting it on tape and putting it on film and really dating back to 2020, we saw him have that dynamic rookie season where he was unanimous defensive rookie of the year. He was outstanding. Getting back to that now in 2022. It's crazy to think that Chase Young is already in his third season, but we don't want to get to a point where we're always saying, ah, he's always injured. He's always hurt. We've seen the situation with Nick Bosa out in San Francisco as another top five pick from Ohio State as an edge rusher deal with the ACL injury and how he's come back and he's a defensive player of the year candidate this year, how dynamic he is for the Niners defense. That's what Chase Young has to be because 49ers have a good front four, but I like Washington's front four better than they do or better than they are. So this is just feeding off of of pain and and Allen and sweat. You got in the middle, if teams can't, uh, duo block John Allen and Jerron Payne. You got to isolate to the outside now. You got to keep in a running back. You got to keep in a tight end, whether it's Dallas Goddard or Jack Stoll for the Eagles. You got to keep in one of the, those guys to chip sweat or chip young because you got guys in the middle now. Gonna, and then John Allen right now that's playing like arguably the top defensive tackle in the league. He's been absolutely fantastic and dominant in the middle at one and three tech in the middle of that defensive line as the anchor of Washington's defense. A defense that's played extremely well since week three. So, Jace Young, again, I'm excited to see him if he is healthy this week. If not, you know, we'll we'll wait. Just try. It's patience. Preach patience when it comes to Chase Young because this is not a one-year thing. A lot like with with the Bills and Josh Allen, kind of the dilemma that they're facing to where, you know, it's not a one-year thing. These are young guys, and Chase Young, and guys like Josh Allen, faces of the franchise, if you want, if you will, that are going to be in their respective franchises, Chase in Washington and, and Josh in Buffalo, being here for a long time. A long time. Working back to the second level, again, Cole Holcomb did not practice on Thursday. We will see who Washington deploys at the second level. We saw how the success that TJ Hawkinson had last week in his first game for the Minnesota Vikings over the middle of the field. We have seen Jamin Davis improve, and we saw DeJon Harris play some. Heck, heck, we even saw John Bostic get some snaps over the middle of the field. But I'm not here to criticize, because those guys played fine. You saw what they did in limiting Dalvin Cook, 255 yards on the ground as a whole. Vikings had 56 yards on the ground as a team last week. So somebody's doing something right within that front seven. And you, you guys know me. I don't give a crap who's playing. If you can play ball, I don't care where you went to school or where you got drafted. I don't care. If you can play, you can play. And last week, John Bostic took advantage of his snaps. That's what he did. Jamin Davis getting better every single week. It comes with reps. It comes with snaps. I know a lot of you out there were wanting to give up on Jamin Davis after one year in the NFL how much Jack Del Rio asks of his linebackers at the second level where the game speed, I get it. Jamin Davis played at Kentucky, he played in the SEC. But the game speed from the SEC to the NFL is different. NFL game speed is much different. And the priorities and the discipline that he had to show last year is just an entirely different ball game going from Kentucky to the NFL. And now in year two, you're starting to see the game slow down a little bit. You're seeing his physicality flash sometimes behind the line of scrimmage on some certain plays, and he's been able to blow up. The speed is flashing that we saw at Kentucky. It takes time with guys. And it's unfortunate that Cole Holcomb's been out the last few weeks because 
Him and Davis, I thought, have been fine. They're average at best. Linebacking core. But David Mayo was out last week. We'll see if he plays. I know he was limited in practice yesterday. So this is another question this week where you got Cam Curl in the back end, most likely going to cover Dallas Goddard, just like he did with TJ Hawkinson. Now, he took, Cam Curl took his lumps. I, I, You guys follow me on social media, on, on Twitter, underscore Ryan Fowler. You, you understand how much I like Cam Curl. I think he's one of the top safeties in football. I, I really do. And an absolute steal. The seventh rounder out of Arkansas a few years ago. But this week's going to be another test for that second and that third level and that 10 to 20, 10 to 15 yard area, these intermediate areas of the offense that I always talk about, where Washington's going to have to lock up Dallas Goddard. I'm not worried about Jack Stoll. I'm not. But Dallas Goddard is an excellent tight end. Obviously a kid that they took out of South Dakota State a few years ago, and that was with Zach Ertz in that Super Bowl run. He is someone that is a dynamic pass catcher over the middle field, and not just a security blanket for Jalen Hurts, but someone that can get it and go. And we saw him again in week three against Washington make Cam Curl miss in space, where and in that game he had three catches for 26 yards and a touchdown. Is that going to make? Is that a world beater by any means? And a, a game that like T.J. Hawkinson has had last week with six, seven catches and 50, 60 yards? No, but at the end of the day. Dallas Goddard, before you look up at at halftime, could have six, seven catches for 80 yards and a touchdown or two. He's an excellent tight end, but there's only one ball to go around because you got A.J. Brown and you got Devontae Smith and you got Miles Sanders and then you got Jalen Hurts out of the backfield and you got Kenny Gainwell, that dynamic three-down weapon that three out of the four NFC East teams have and that former Memphis Weapon X. Gainwell in Philly, Gibson in Washington, Tony Pollard obviously in Dallas. So the Philadelphia Eagles just present so many issues and concerns as far as Washington's defensive perspective of who you have to cover on each play. They do an excellent job in the RPO game where they sell the run, they'll pull it, they'll have Jalen Hurts run, they'll have him pass, they'll have him on designated boots to create outside of structure. They'll have those QB powers, those QB sweeps. They do a lot of unique things and it really is a tip of the cap to Nick Sirianni and that offensive coordinator Shane Steichen in Philadelphia to where they take the skill sets that they have on offense and use them to the best of their abilities. They're not asking guys to do things that they don't do well. Quez Watkins is a speed guy from Southern Miss, one of the fastest guys in the NFL. They're not asking him to run dig routes five yards over the middle of the field. What are they asking him to do? Stretch the defense. Why? Because he's got world-class speed. Devontae Smith, a smooth route runner. They use him in different alignments, inside in the slot to give him free releases and open space. Then they move him to the outside and ask him to create one-on-one on the boundary. A.J. Brown, a big physical body. They'll slide him into the slot, force you to cover over the shallow areas of the offense, and then if they want to leak him out in some of those slot fades that they like to do and use the, that big body, you see him on that touchdown where he carried Benjamin St. Tuce in the end zone in week three, coming outside some mesh concepts over the middle of the field, forcing defenses to communicate they do a lot of good things offensively from a structural standpoint that makes it confusing for defenses because you don't know who the hell to cover. And before you know it, you, you turn your back to cover Devontae Smith down the field and you look up and Jalen Hurts is running at you with a big 220-pound body. And you got to tackle him in open space. There's just so many dynamics that this Eagles offense has presented. And as much as I just said, you know, tip of the captain Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen, the improvement of Jalen Hurts to get the ball out of his hands 
and the ability to process his first read, second read, third read very quickly, you know, under three seconds. And then if everything breaks down, his ability to run, he's an MVP candidate right now. Not just because the Eagles are 8-0, and usually we give the MVP award because the team is doing well. The quarterback that is usually on the best team, usually that is the Patrick Mahomeses of the world, the Josh Allens of the world. Right now, it's Jalen Hurts. The Eagles are, from a record perspective, the best team in the NFL right now. I think they still have a ton to prove. I think there are still questions, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, that Jalen Hurts has to answer as far as dealing with adversity and how he's going to bounce back when he has that adversity. But he's a super mature individual, someone that obviously understands the offense, what Sirianni and Steichen want to accomplish from an offensive game plan perspective, running the ball with Miles Sanders, getting Jalen Hurts' legs involved. Then you're taking those shot plays. Then you're targeting guys like Dallas Goddard over the 50, you know, the intermediate areas of the offense. Bring those safeties up, bam, we're going to hit you with Devontae Smith down the field. Those are the little things that they execute and have executed very well these first eight weeks. But if you look back at that game against the Texans that the Eagles had in that first half, they came out slow. And and the way that Texans kept their offense off the field, or Philly's offense off the field, was running the ball with Damian Pierce. Rookie out of Florida that's been a offensive rookie of the year candidate right now. You have Brian Robinson. You have Antonio Gibson. And you made additions on your front five that was better last week than they were the last few weeks. Obviously, we're going to talk about Chase Roulier's absence for the rest of the year as a huge loss. But Washington, for this week, has got to be creative in running the football to open everything up. Play action, boot action, and taking your shots downfield when you can with Taylor Heineke. Because every single week, it seems like every time that ball goes in the air, you're on the edge of your seat. That can't happen this week because they have ball players on the outside that can make plays and not just make plays, but take it back for six. So Taylor Heineke moving this week, he cannot be the reason that Washington loses his football game. He was the reason. Now you could say John Ridgeway for lining up over the long snapper. You could say he was the reason they lost that football game. No, turning the ball over in your own, within your own 50, your side of the field in the fourth quarter with a lead as a quarterback, and you cannot do that in that exact situation, he can't do that this week. Well, it cannot be. Washington cannot lose games because of Taylor Heineke. You can win games with Taylor Heineke. You're not going to win games because of Taylor Heineke. There's flashes. At times, you're like, holy smokes, we may have got really something here. We may have got into some luck. As Taylor Heineke has obviously bounced around the league, kid out of ODU, local kid. Obviously, we, we know the story with Taylor Heineke. An excellent story. Love the kid. Everybody loves the kid. And a dynamic talent at the quarterback position. He's going to be juiced up for this game. I think Washington's going to come out, hopefully play hard. You know, I don't want to look up at the first quarter. It's 14-0 Philadelphia. Seemingly what it's been for Washington in prime time in the last 20 years. You get psyched up. You come home from work. You order pizza. You got wings. You're chilling out. Talking with your friends, your family. You're excited to watch Monday Night Football. And you look up in the first quarter and you're down 17. Seen it many, many times. I'm not going to bring up the Monday Night Massacre from the Eagles at FedEx Field when they had Michael Vick in the first game with Chip Kelly. I'm not going to talk about that because everybody knows even what happened on that first series with that game, D'Angelo Hall taking back that, that lateral that failed with Michael Vick down in the red zone. 
It was 7-0 Washington. Everybody was so happy about that Chip Kelly offense. And Washington went up 7-0 in that game. Not saying it's going to happen on Monday night. I think Washington's a much better team than they were when that happened years ago. But for Washington to be successful and be competitive in this ball game, turnovers have to be limited. The hero ball from Taylor Heineke has to be limited. Take the easy throws. And when you have to pump throws into tight windows that we obviously know are going to be at the NFL level, and especially this week with how dynamic they are on the back end, got to be able to make those throws. And if not, it's going to be tough, you know, running the ball 30 times a game with, with Robinson and Gibson when a defense like that and the front seven like that, that's the bodies that they do, they can just limit you in the running game. They'll stuff that front five that Washington has, force you to the outside. And Washington doesn't doesn't have any burners at the running back position. Antonio Gibson isn't a burner. Brian Robinson isn't a burner. They got guys that can come outside of the, of the tackle box and make plays. So it's about the run game. It's opening play action. And Taylor Heineke cannot be the reason that Washington loses this football game. And on defensively, get after Jalen Hurts. Be disciplined in your rush lanes. You don't want him escaping outside of the pocket, both as a runner, as a thrower. And on the outside, it's going to be another test for St. Juice, Fuller, and Wild Goose. And that secondary with Bobby McCain and Cam Curl, Derek Forrest, Percy Butler, all those guys are going to have roles this week. So I'm extremely interested to see how Washington comes out. The first quarter, first 20 minutes of this ball game are going to be huge for the overall long kind of view of this full 60 minutes of how Washington comes out in that environment with an 8-0 team, obviously riding high, and everybody has Super Bowl aspirations in Philadelphia, being competitive and potentially stealing one in Philadelphia. So that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a review, share, subscribe. Again, I'm on Twitter. If you don't follow me already, underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work, audio, video contents at thedraftnetwork.com. Hope you guys enjoy your Friday, your college football Saturday slate, your NFL slate on Sunday, and then Monday night, 8.30, Washington Commanders at Philadelphia Eagles in week 10 of the NFL season already. The season is flying by, and this is a huge game for Washington, not just to get their first divisional win, get the one and two, but to get back to 500 football at five and five as you head into next week where you travel to face the Houston Texans. So again, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. I will talk to you on Tuesday morning. Full recap, Washington at Philadelphia, hoping for a big victory in prime time. And and again, the overall narrative of this pod, give the Eagles some adversity. Make them feel some adversity. Everything's been perfect this year. Haven't had to deal with anything except for Jordan Davis injury within the interior. It's only been a couple things. And we obviously know in Washington how much adversity the commanders have faced, not just on the field, but obviously behind the scenes as well. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... 
Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.